Welcome to the Financial Planners South Africa podcast, a show dedicated to driving the positive evolution of financial advice, specifically in South Africa. To join a global community of financial advisors, sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion, people and the evolution of wealth management. Our global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio Metrics is an authorized financial services provider. AssetMap is a proud sponsor of this podcast. Are you looking for the next big thing in advisor technology? AssetMap is used by thousands of financial advisors to help create more meaningful conversations with clients. See for yourself how AssetMap is leading the next phase of financial advice delivery. Learn more at asset-map.com forward slash Louis for special listeners discount. This episode is proudly brought to you by Alan Gray. They say it's important to live for today. Although that might be true, we can't forget to plan for tomorrow. There's a lot of it left, after all. Alan Gray is an authorized financial services provider. Visit www.alangray.co.za to learn how we build long-term wealth for clients. Welcome to another episode of Financial Planners South Africa. Today, I have Didi Mokonoto with me. She's a certified financial planner, a winner of the FBI Diversity and Inclusion Award for 2020, has made waves in the industry with someone that uh, speaks her mind. She's currently a strategic enablement manager at Astute. And Didi, it's lovely to have you here today. Oh, Lee, thank you so much for such a warm welcome. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here with you. Thanks for the invite. Didi, when we had our intro call before, there's so many valuable things that came up in our discussion. But I'd like you to give us a little bit of a background on how you got into financial planning. What were those first steps that you took? Yeah. Look, so I've been in the industry for, I think I could say about 10 years now. It's weird. It just like time went by so fast. Um, but straight out of university, I, I went into become accounting at the University of Johannesburg. And very fast, Louis, I realized that accounting is really not my thing. Auditing is not my thing. It's, it's just so monotonous and I wasn't excited by it. So I decided to then change to become finance which then allowed me to, you know, dip into investments. It allowed, it exposed me to financial planning. It exposed me to tax planning. And that just opened up the world of possibilities for me. So that excited me. Um, and I think back in the day when, when we, when we did honors in financial planning, you could also then simultaneously write your board exam. So your CFP exam was combined then. So it wasn't a separate exam, which is lucky for me. <laughs> so I did all of that before I even started working. I, I had qualified and I had gotten, um, the board exam done and dusted and I just needed to get my work experience so I could get the, the actual designation. So, so that's where my journey started. And then I, I started working at Alexander Forbes as a junior financial planner. Um, so, so we would give advice over the phone. I wouldn't physically see clients. So I wouldn't physically sit with them, but it was more like a call center environment 
where we dealt with the smaller clients, the, the clients that had like minimum debit orders or like 50,000 rands that they wanted to invest. And and that's where my, my journey started in this industry. Wow. So you took the professional education part really seriously and said, okay, I need to get my certified financial planner designation before I start giving advice. And like you said, back in the day, I also did it then. <laughs> I think it was a little bit easier because I struggled to get over that hoop. And you went into this role at Alexander Forbes. Like, tell me about those early days. Like, how did you find the culture within, within the business at that point? I loved it. I mean, it was such a solid foundation for my career because I think it's it's hard to enter the industry, the financial planning industry, as a young person who doesn't have connections, who doesn't have a network of wealthy people, you know. So starting off at Alexander Forbes, they gave us leads. Um, we had a salary, so I knew at the end of the month I would get, you know, something. It wasn't me depending on commission and sales. And that really taught me the importance of building a relationship with a client as opposed to just selling so that I can have, you know, food at the end of the month. They really, really laid a solid foundation for me. So I'm forever grateful um, to Alexander Forbes for, for what they did. Brilliant. I think that's such a great base to start from that you don't have this incentive to necessarily sell products. It's delivering mm. good advice. And then obviously your career ended at Alexander Forbes after about three years. And and what yeah. was that point that you know, made you decide to look for something else? Well, when I left Forbes, I actually went to a smaller brokerage. So I still was interested in being a financial advisor, but I was still exploring and seeing what's out there. So I went to a smaller brokerage um, so that I could get exposed to more. Um, at Forbes, I focused a lot on retirement planning and and just a little bit of investment planning, but I really wanted to now do wealth management and look at it holistically and see how you can help a client from when they when you meet them to all the way to retirement. Um, and in that process, it just dawned on me that this is such a a big responsibility that I'm carrying. I really have to be with this client until the day that they pass away, which is something that I didn't see myself doing and. I realized the magnitude of that responsibility. So I started exploring, you know, different avenues for me to start using my CFP designation within the industry. I think that's such a valuable point to consider, Didi, is that you're saying this relationship with your financial planner is relationship for life almost. And yes, we sometimes use it as marketing to say, you know, where you where your partner's for life, but actually are you taking this seriously enough and, and are you ready for that commitment? Because it, it's, it's like a marriage. You, know, you have, mm. uh, have, have two people that have to be committed to this, this relationship. What were the things that scared you of, that, of, the, of these like really long relationships with your clients? I mean, I would see my friends were getting promotions and they were climbing up the corporate ladder. And I mean, when you're an advisor, you are an advisor. That's your job. You know, you, yes, you might start as a junior advisor and then you, you know, you get more experience and then you become a senior advisor. You know, you get, you know, wealthier clients, a bigger portfolio. But I, I, I sort of thought that I'd be doing the same thing over and over again. Um, and I didn't think that my skill set 
was well positioned in that role. I thought that I'm I'm very strategic. I'm an innovator. I'm someone who thinks out the box. So I wouldn't like my my God given talents wouldn't have been maximized as an advisor. And they were, I felt like there was another place for me to to fully use my my skills, you know, um, but still using my designation. So I still would add value to the client. And to other advisors, just not as me being the person that's giving the advice. And I think that's how I then started exploring the asset management side of financial services um, and getting into um, Ellen Gray. You know, I, I wanted to see what that side of the world looked like. Yeah. Tell us a little bit. You know, what was your experience and what did that side of the world look like? So it's a very, I think it's, it's such a volatile environment in the sense that um, you sit with clients and, and my clients were financial advisors at the time when I moved into asset management. You sit with your clients and you, you're giving them investment updates, you're giving them updates in terms of the performance of your funds and there's so much emotion attached to money. There's so much emotion attached to an advisor's client's money and they want to make sure that they're making the right decision. If they choose to use this particular balance fund, they want to know that the person that's managing it is doing the right thing. They're ethical and they, they're doing as much research as they possibly can to make sure that their clients reach retirement financially sound. So it's also a big responsibility that we were carrying on the asset management side. It was just a more distant relationship with the client. Uh, so uh, I see this kind of theme of, you know, emotions being pigging, backing on, on money and what, it sounds like is that you know, it can get quite heated debates. Like, how did you how did you juggle the interests of working for an asset manager, but also you know wanting to serve that that end client? Mm. I think they it, it was quite an easy one because the asset manager that I chose to work for was one that I trust. I really I think they're very ethical. I think, you know, I trust the, the, the investment team, the values of the company, and you see it from, from the first time you walk into the building, from the receptionist to whoever you're meeting with. It's, it's actually the culture. It just goes through every single individual that you interact with. So it's very easy to sell an asset manager that you know is doing the right thing. Yes, there are ups and downs in the performance, markets go up and down, but you trust that the people behind the company brand are doing the right things. And it made, it made it easier for me to then sell them. So Didi, you, you talk a lot about kind of delivering advice at scale and not necessarily directly with the client, but through your partnerships with financial planners. What happened after you left Alan Gray? Hmm. So that's a very interesting one because while I was at Allen Gray, um, my mind was still exploring, right, Louis? So I was still trying to, to use this innovative mind and I'm, I'm now in this investment world, which is a very like, you know, suits and tie type of environment. And, you know, when you present, you have to kind of sit upright and, and, and speak in a particular way. So my mind started, um, exploring different areas within financial services and I was researching a lot and I started reading up a lot on financial technology. Um, it kept popping up, it kept popping up and things like 
advice tech, um, open finance, you know, blockchain, all of these things started creeping in. And I decided to just invest in myself and do a short course on financial technology. Um, it was an online course with uh, Saeed, which is the business school for Oxford. And that was the best decision I made because that opened up my eyes. I got to interact with people from across the world that were building different fintechs, that were working for global companies and developing different products, you know. Um, and it showed me that there's so much that I can still do with my CFP designation. Um, it's just I'd be taking a different route. The only thing is I hadn't met anyone like me. So I, I had not met someone who has the CFP designation that had explored this fintech world, you know, so it, I was literally alone. <laughs> so what I decided to do is um, obviously I engaged within the company that I was working for to see if there were opportunities aligned with what I wanted to do. And then I started engaging with fintechs. Um, all over South Africa. Um, and I made a decision to kind of take two steps back. So to, to leave Alan Gray without a job and dedicate that time to finding the right opportunity that was aligned with what was in my heart and what, what my passion was like that fire that was, you know, igniting and really wanted to like explode. I needed to release it, but I couldn't do it in that environment. So. I took some time off and um, unfortunately that was the same time when we had our first lockdown. So it was when COVID was starting. And I mean, who would have known that the world can stop? I mean, we joke about this all the time, but who actually would have known that the world could stop? <laughs> so at that time, um, yeah, I, I was engaging still with different fintechs and um, made different payment systems, advice takes, like all across the, the fintech spectrum. Um, and, and that's how I then ended up engaging with Astute, which is a company I never, ever thought I would work for, ever, ever. It didn't even cross my mind. <laughs> and uh, from uh, my very first interview, I realized that there's so much more to this company and I need to actually get in there and see the work that they're doing and explore a little bit more. So, yeah, that's how I ended up at, at Astute. Well, Didi, what a time to find your values and reignite that passion. And as someone that also enjoys technology and loves using it, I can only imagine like how it must be sifting through these different areas. Tell us a little bit more about this kind of fintech program that you that you did. Like how was it engaging with people? Uh, I'm assuming there was not a lot of people from South Africa at that time. And then also, you know, what can we learn from the global perspective on how businesses see fintech? Yeah, no, there weren't a lot of South Africans. There were a few people from Africa, um, which was also quite exciting because you see the development that's happening in our continent and it's exciting, right? Because it shows you that we are amazing people who are thinking out the box and, you know, sometimes you just need to give um, certain people opportunities and you'll just see how they just run with things and, and do amazing things. But um, so I engaged with different types of people. I engaged with um, bank managers, people that focus on investment banking, people that are focusing on wealth management. Um, and there was a common, common 
uh, I could say topic that kept coming up and that was data. That's one thing that I picked up, the importance of data, the importance of having clean data um, and how you can use it with alongside technology to kind of improve efficiencies, improve how you're servicing clients, um, improve how you're marketing to your clients. Are you marketing the right things to your clients or are you just calling everyone on a telephone book and trying to sell insurance to them, you know? So it, it was it was very eye-opening to, one, learn about the different technologies behind um, fintech and also just to understand how they fit into financial services. So debt, um, investing, saving, you know, pension funds. So that, that was very, very exciting. Okay, so with that strategic mind, it gave you a sense of, where all these pieces fit in and that allowed you to hone into one piece and say, okay, I want to focus on. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I must say though, when, when I left Alan Gray, I didn't know which part of what type of fintech I wanted to work for because, because I was still very new to this and I didn't have a mentor. I didn't, I didn't really have someone that I could just bounce things off. So I was literally winging it. (laughs) I was winging everything. Um, and I was doing a lot of research and I was just, you know, watching a lot of YouTube videos. Um, I could say that I, I kind of put myself through un- my own little university, my own little fintech university over and above the, the course that I did. Um, so when I ended up at, at a shoot, um, I had an option between like a point of sale, um, type of fintech or like, Astute, which is a data exchange company um, that is in the center of financial planning, I must say. So, so then I decided to to go um, with Astute because it it really, really did speak to my qualifications and the experience that I have in the industry. So, when we hear Astute, we typically think, oh, that's the place that you go to get policy information for <laughs> clients. But from our discussion, there's so much more. Maybe you can just give us a brief background in like. What are the different services that Astute offers and where do you fit in? Yeah, so I mean, it's so funny. When when I also applied to Astute, I, I thought literally it was just the policy um, data part of the business, but it's such a dynamic company. Um, so we've got those intermediary services that, that most financial advisors know about. Um, we've got risk services, so where we are integrated with different insurance companies and we're actively trying to mitigate fraud. We're trying to reduce fraud, insurance claim fraud. You know, so there's there's different um, systems that we've put in place to make sure that if DD has been naughty in the in the industry, in the insurance industry, all the insurance companies should be aware that DD is someone that you should probably put a red flag red flag up for. You know, so it's just Little little nudges that that we give the insurance companies to you know research a bit more. The the data analytics teams can understand their clients a little bit more, understand their clients' behavior a little bit more. There's just so much to the work that we're doing, um, and we're seeing sort of like an uptick in um, financial advisors. Funny enough, financial advisors who are building their own fintechs. Um, that talk to not only the CRM capability, but also other jobs that financial advisors need to do. So um, some of the fintechs specialize in investment planning. You know, some of the fintechs specialize in estate planning. But 
at the end of the day, a street is in the center of these technologies that are being built to make advisors' lives simpler and easier and insurance companies' lives easier. Yeah, that's so interesting because you know, we've seen a couple of cases where it makes complete sense for a financial planning practice to build their own propriety software as opposed to you know buying something off the shelf or customizing one of the bigger planning uh, pieces out there. What is your take on financial planners building their own software? And you know, at what point does it make sense for a company to consider that? I would say if it's your passion. So if this is something that you really, you're passionate about, then do it. Because you might, if you're going to do it out of frustration because you're not finding what you're looking for, um, you might end up wasting money, resources, do the research, do the homework. You obviously understand what you're looking for. You've been doing this for years. So if, if, if there's a fire inside of you that's saying, do this, this is part of your purpose. I'm all about purpose. If, it, if this is part of your purpose, do it. If it's not part of your purpose, then be the person that is engaging with the different software providers that are there and, and tell them what you want. Tell them, you know, use your voice. But I don't think that everyone should be building their own, um, system, I think it's going to take a lot of money and you don't want to start it and leave it halfway. Um, you'd have to think about things like distribution strategies. Um, you need funding. You you need to actually build the system. So you need a developer. You need an engineer. There's so many different things that you need to think about. And not to forget that you actually have a book of clients that you have to manage and take care of while you're building this fintech. So you I would say do it if it's really something that in your heart of hearts you think you will add value and you should actually be doing this. I love that it comes back to that fire and what you're passionate about. And what you told us is that with the beginning of lockdown, there was the same time when you had <laughs> when you found yourself in between jobs, in between opportunities. Yeah. What was the process that you took to find your passion? And said, so what was the process that you took to find your passion? I just researched and I read a lot. I just, I, so, I, okay, so my starting point was, what did I study? Do I even enjoy what I studied? Okay, that was a yes. Okay, at least I enjoyed that. I enjoyed numbers. I enjoyed dealing with people. Okay. Then I just started researching financial services, what's happening, you know, new trends, um, and then, like I said, fintech kept coming up. It kept coming up. Or maybe I was gravitating towards it. I don't know. But then I started researching a lot about that. And it just made me excited. As I was reading on it, I, I got excited. And I realized I actually have to explore this a bit more. Um, but I always say, with the thing with um, when you're trying to find your purpose, you need to, it needs to be aligned with helping people. So your, your purpose, I think people tend to overthink purpose. It's not, you know, building a Tesla or, or starting an Uber. That's, that's, that, that's not your purpose. Your purpose is you want to help people. Okay. So I want to help people. What is my core skill set? Um, okay. Financial services. All right. Cool. So within financial services, how can I help people? And you start thinking around that. Um, I always say that. I wasn't created to be served. I was created to serve. So that's, that's like the core of everything that I do. And it, when you start thinking that way, you see your perspective change, changes and you start seeing opportunities that you probably 
wouldn't have seen if you were focused on things like I want to make money or I want to build this big corporation, you know? Yeah, I love that serving mindset. And actually, we're in the, in the business of helping people, like you said. Yeah. Helping your clients. But at the same time, you know, you can build a sustainable business and also employ people and through that, help them. Didi, mm. your kind of role as the chairperson of the FBI Practice Management Committee, mm. what do you come across in businesses that you think people are getting stuck in? Like, what are the things that you see that is taking up all of their time and that you think there's actually maybe a, a solution out there mm. that they're missing? Sure. From, from a lot of the engagements that I've had with advisors, the one thing that takes up a lot of time is compliance. There's a lot of red tape. It takes up time and it, it takes time that advisors should be using to sit in front of clients. They're using it to make sure that all the tick boxes are ticked. So, you know, things like KYC, you're seeing a lot of technologies that are coming up that are integrated with the Department of Home Affairs, for example, that makes your KYC process a little bit smoother and more efficient. And, you know, you can do things like take selfies and it kind of links your ID to your selfie, you know, things like that. I think compliance is a big, big um, time consumer in a practice. Um, the other thing is admin, you know, so, so there's this whole... Um, debate about you know having an administrator like a physical person who's doing your admin and and my 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 thing with administrators is i think we we as an industry need to look at the administrators as people that we can develop um anyone that is dealing with paperwork anyone that is capturing anyone that is doing something that um a robot or a computer can do we need to help those people um, figure out what they want to do, what their purpose is, and let's help develop them. You might find that um, once we start developing them within your business, that person would add so much value in a way that you probably wouldn't have done yourself. You know, so that's that's another practice management um, area that we're seeing. Um, some advisors are proactively putting in work into developing their assistance, um, not to be data capturers, but to be specialists in, in a specific area or, or something like that, you know. Uh, so those are, you know, some of the top ones that I'm thinking of. We're also seeing um, just things like, you know, behavioral behavioral coaching. So just coaching your, your clients and having the ability to sit with your client and one, listen and actually listen to your client. Um, the ability to coach your client and not tell your client um, that they need to go into this particular fund or they need to, you know, use an RA instead of a tax reinvestment. But the ability to understand what your client really wants like, what is important to Didi? You know, does she actually want to get married? Does she want children? Why are, you, why are you forcing her to, you know, buy a house right now just because she can afford it, you know? So that, that, that um, fine line of tell, between telling and coaching your clients, we're also seeing some of that creep up. I want to delve a little bit more into this role that you're talking about in terms of expanding the capabilities of your staff and actually planning for a future role and not just saying, you know, we're going to automate away your, your current 
uh, occupation and your, your current role, like what are the practical steps that someone can take to build a staff development plan? Where do you, where do you start? You mentioned your passion, but like what do you see practically? Yeah, I think, and I mean, this is for any industry, anyone that is managing a person, I think the, the most important thing is for you to remember that you are working with a person who has feelings, who has goals, who has aspirations. I think that's the first place to start. And then, you know, give them time to give them your time, rather. So give them your time, have time to sit with them, whether it's once a month, once a quarter, but like to catch up and find out where they're at in their minds, right? Once you've, once you've gotten to that point, you can then start looking at your practice um, or your business and see where, where is your business going and where is this person going? Where's their goals, you know? And try find a middle ground to see how you could possibly transition that person from where they are right now into a more specialized role or even if it's a generic role, but a generic role that would allow them to use their skill sets and and sort of excel in what they're doing in a way that cannot be replaced by technology. A piece that you're talking about almost sounds to me as if the business needs to grow at a certain rate to allow a career path for that employee. Like, is, are you seeing are businesses growing fast enough to create career paths for for their staff? Yeah, it depends on the business, and it depends on. Um, the the owner of the business so if you look at a typical financial planning practice it's not the type of business um if it's maybe you, you know there's one advisor one assistant i wouldn't expect it to all of a sudden have 10 employees or 50 employees in in five years that's not really the plan of the advisor the advisor is really trying to uh, maybe grow their book and and grow the client experience so you don't necessarily have to grow the number of employees or the size of the business, but you're growing the way that you are engaging with your clients. And when you do that, you need more resources to, to engage in a different way with your clients. So your assistant could be an enabler for you to do certain things that you weren't, you were not able to do in the past, you know, so you're only one person. If you are the advisor, you're one person, you can only sit with one person at a time. So now you've you've developed your your assistant to be able to handle certain engagements with your clients in a way where your clients would still feel the same level of experience, client experience. The 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 journey wouldn't drop. They wouldn't get frustrated because this particular person doesn't know what X Y Z is. So I guess what I'm trying to say is take your assistant along the journey. So if your plans are growing, if, if you're, the way that you see your, your practice engaging with clients is growing and the way you, you'll be receiving your clients, bring your assistant along that journey. You don't just develop yourself and develop your systems and your technology, but develop the actual people in the business as well. Yeah, Didi, this concept of kind of brand consistency, uh, I can see how that resonates with you know, someone that worked at Alan Gray where the brand consistency is so high. <laughs> yeah. And now we can see why, right? Bringing your, at your assistant along on this journey so that for the client, it feels like the, this experience is growing, not necessarily just the growth of the business. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's nothing more frustrating than... For example, calling a call center, I don't know, maybe it's a, 
you have one something's broken and you need it fixed then you talk to one person and that person doesn't know anything that's going on and then you talk to another person and they have all the answers but you only reach that person after two hours of trying you know that is the most frustrating client experience ever so so if we can be consistent from the first point of contact right to the end you will guarantee maintaining your clients and retaining them absolutely Didi, what are those things that that you look for in a financial planner? Like if you were out finding a financial planner to manage your finances or the finances of of a friend, what would that shortlist be of the things that are key to look out for? So education is one. So for me, not necessarily do they have um, the CFP designation. Um, I, I have engaged with some amazing advisors who do not have the designation yet, but aspire to get it. Um, so, so education is key. Um, the other one is how they engage with me. So do they respect me? Um, do they ask me questions or do they talk at me? Relatability is also a big one. You know, can, can I actually relate with this person? Do I actually enjoy being around this person? You know, (laughs) Um, and, and efficiency, like service, service is, is, is just, it's, it's so important. I mean, am I going to spend hours signing documents and completing the same thing over and over again? Or are you just going to send me one thing that I need to sign without having to print it, you know? Um, access to my own information. Like, do you have, you know, is, is there a way for me to, to access my own data? via you or do I have to contact the different platforms myself and you know get all that stuff so I think services is also right at the center of all of that wow that is quite a list I'm wondering (laughs) like when we think of platforms that we're engaging in right like how would you expect your advisor to reach out to you like what are the platforms that are acceptable and what are the ones that you know are not acceptable do you mean in terms of meetings or how do you what do you mean so there's quite a growing trend of clients, you know, wanting conversations on WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger. Like, are those the things that financial planners should be engaging in? Mm-hmm. Or should we push them back into channels that we can control more? I'd love to hear your thinking from a risk and technology and consumer perspective. <laughs> so I, I think it really depends on um, what the advisor is comfortable with. Um to a certain extent, because you do have to push yourself a little bit. And also the type of clients that you're engaging with. So I definitely think if an advisor um, is trying to reach like a, a young person, millennial, um, or anyone younger than a millennial, you really need to be dynamic. We are all about um, boom, boom, pow. <laughs> that's that's the best way I can put it. So, you know, let's get it done. <laughs> I'm in between meetings and, and you want me to do something. So I need to be able to click on my phone quickly, read it quickly and get it done, you know. So whatever um, platform you're using or system you're using, obviously data security is, is a key um, factor that you need to consider. Is, the, is your client protected? Um, is their data protected? Is their privacy protected? easy I, I need to be able to access it very easily without having to have a million apps here and there you know it must be central whatever platform you choose to use um qr codes or something that's coming up and and it's quite exciting because then you might not even need a website you know depending on on the structure of your business and the type of business that you have 
um, a QR code could work for some people. It might not work for others, you know. So really, I think as an advisor, just try and explore and see the different um, communication and branding mechanisms and 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 um, softwares that are out there that you could possibly use, and maybe test it out with your children. Test it out with your children's friends and see um, is this something that they would then consider. Um, if if someone came to them, if an advisor came to them and said, "Hey, let's talk on this platform," would they go? Would they buy in, or or what would they do? Yeah, it, it like a lot of financial planning firms look at using technology to automate the financial planning piece, but yet don't use it when it comes to communication and service. And what mm. it sounds like is that we're missing the boat. We should be focusing on communication and service, and you know, using that to speed up things. Um, as opposed to automate the investment selection process for argument's sake. Mm. I mean, I definitely think, you know, you need to find a balance between the two because the investment process could take you so long if you're doing these analysis yourself. You know, if you're the one that's literally looking through all the unit prices and all the different unit trusts and all of that. So you need a, a, a balance um, with the with your tech stack. But um definitely you know client experience i think is so important it's it's just and the thing with client experience is as clients we don't even know what we need until someone puts it in front of us i'll give you an example so when i was in university we used to catch cabs like the old school cab where you just go to the corner at the mall and there's a guy in a car and he's got the yellow taxi sign and then you end up taking his number. Every time you needed a cab, you had your cab people. But then Uber came and you start realizing how unsafe that was. Nobody knew where you were. Nobody knew who that taxi driver was. But you you used to catch those cabs at any hour of the day. you know. And then Uber showed me that I actually need to take my security more seriously. Um, it's actually inconveniencing for me to have to call the cab driver and then he says, okay, I can only pick you up in 20 minutes. You know, that was incon, but I didn't know it was inconvenient because I didn't know better until Uber showed me what I needed. Now, I would never go to a random cab and say, hey, can you please take me to the mall? You know, I'd never ever do that. I love that thing of, no, you didn't really know how inconvenient it was. And at some point we might our clients might wake up and say, Oh, I didn't really know how inconvenient this financial planning process was until something new came along. Exactly. Exactly. And and the funny thing is, um, because of Google and technology and instant gratification, we are st- as clients, we're starting to realize that, you know, we want things done faster, but we don't know how to articulate it to the people that are giving us the financial advice, right? We, we just know that we want it done faster, but we don't have the solution and we need you, the advisors to do this, you know, for us, help us help you. Let's help each other. So it's someone kind of understanding what's important to the client, but also translating that to the software provider. That's right? it. Yes. And are you seeing some firms doing exciting things? Like what are you mentioned some QR codes and what are the exciting things that companies are doing maybe globally? Yeah, no. So there are some exciting things. I mean, one one simple thing that I I'm thinking about um is just, you know, creating a vault. <laughs> so so if if you have a family, you have children and you have a will um and something happens to you, 
um, you need to, your family probably has to wait until the master of the high court, you know, elects the, um, <clears throat> the executor and, you know, you follow that process. But now we're seeing things like vaults come about where, you know, there's literally a QR code that would then, um, allow for someone who has access to it to, to see what's in the vault, you know, and what is in the vault is your policy information. It's your, you know, investment information. It's your beneficiary list. It's your will, you know. Um, obviously you wouldn't be able to action anything. You still have to follow the, the necessary processes, but just access to information is a little bit easier now with technology. Um, things like, um, reports having so your your reviews your reports having a capability for someone to comment on it or having a capability for someone to request a call from the report from a particular point on the report you know so we're just seeing some exciting you know innovations that are really and it's exciting because it's coming from financial advisors you know it's coming from people who have been dealing with this stuff for years and have decided, you know what, I have the solution, I have the passion for this, I'm gonna I'm gonna produce this thing, you know. Things like investor behavior, um, little nudges that are very relevant to you. So so we could be the same age, we could be the same race, the same height, the same everything on paper, but we're not the same person. Like you could be into red and I'm into pink, you know? Um so it's very important for these these different technologies when they're pushing um marketing to you or they're pushing you know little nudges it must be relevant to what you want and data is is the center of things like that it's the center of driving some of those 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 processes you know data driven processes i think that's just the key there that is super exciting and you mentioned that you know the the accuracy and cl- having clean data in your practice is so important and i want to reiterate that it, it it can get very messy when you have all these multiple sources uh, of data to to deal with like where, where do you go to when you know you're in that process of cleaning up your business do you employ someone or are there services out there to help you, you know, sort your data um it depends on the depth of the data i guess i would say um if it's if it's sort of data that is in your CRM system, um, you might want to just employ someone for holiday work to kind of clean out the CRM system. That's an option. Or you could do a bulk exercise and, and do something like an street download at bulk level, you know, your whole book and make sure that everything is clean. Um depending on if it's coming through an FNA or if you're getting it, you know, as a PDF. But but do make sure that where you, wherever you're getting and sourcing this data, it's a reliable source um, that is trustworthy. It's gold, golden source, you know, data, like it's coming from the actual source. I think that's the key right there. Thanks, Didi. And, you know, the next 10 years in financial planning and in our professions are going to look very different because we have this kind of aging wave financial advisors and this shows all about the positive evolution of financial advice where do you see this profession heading Mm, it's it's headed in a very exciting direction Um, i see this industry working so well with robots so i see financial advisors having like hybrid businesses where anything so so obviously the advisor would have studied and gotten the necessary education but anything that really needs you to be too technical and to calculate things the robot has your back the robot is doing all of that for you 
but then there comes a point where the robot cannot tell cannot tell your client so if 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 you're sitting in front of a client and you say so do you want tea yes i'd like some tea thank you would you like it in a mug or would you like it in a teacup what's the right answer there is no right answer. It depends on what I feel like having it in, you know. If I want to hold the mug, you know, and, and, you know, have a large portion of the tea, then I want it in a mug. If I want to be a lady and I want to, you know, have it with a saucer, then I want it in a teacup. But that goes down to the relationship that the advisor has with the client. You understand that Didi is the type of person that wants to drink from the teacup, you know, whereas the robot would then make the tea and make sure that the tea is perfect, the temperature is perfect. But the advisor understands me so well that they can, you know, already when I walk in, they know that, okay, I need to get the teacup for Didi. It's a teacup kind of day. <laughs> Your social media account showed us at the high T. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a hybrid. I think the industry is moving in that direction. Um, and we need to be open to it, right? I, I really don't think technology is there to, to take our jobs. I don't think that it will take our jobs. Um, we just have to evolve and we need to, um, again, support, you know, anyone that that is in a position where their job might end up being redundant it's our responsibilities to to kind of help them um whether it's it's an employee or whether it's a colleague or someone that you know and you you know you might just need to nudge them and say hey the industry is moving in this way have you thought about this you know it's it's actually our responsibility to preserve everyone that's in this industry absolutely and that gap between the people that have and the people that don't have, like that process of narrowing it and upskilling people and saying, okay, we want you to be a more valuable contributor in, in this business. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm thinking about even, you know, the advisors who are thinking of, or not even thinking, but they are reaching retirement age. They're at a stage where they probably cannot give advice anymore, but they don't they don't know who to hand over to. And, they, you know, the, the process of succession planning, you know, hasn't started, you know, it didn't start in the early stages. So now they, you know, you know, thinking, how can I do this in, in, a mo in the most efficient way, in a way that would protect my clients, in a way that would preserve my clients' um, assets and, you know, their books. Um, it's such a, it's such a interesting journey when you, when you talk into an advisor who's put, who's built a practice from scratch and now they they don't want to sort of neglect their clients, but they have to retire. So I think, you know, in the future, we, we as we're working towards the future of the industry, we really need to think about these succession planning strategies. You know, how how are we supporting advisors to hand over, you know, clients in, in the best way possible? Um, how is technology helping with this, you know, in terms of valuing their books and valuing, you know, their overall business. How how is technology assisting in that in that space? We we have to be thinking about that. So technology is not just something that you have to leave to the younger planners. It can also benefit you in unlocking the value in the practice that that you've built without you having to, I guess, control and understand every piece of it. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be so much easier if someone bought a business that was digital. 
if 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 someone is buying a business and everything is in a yellow folder and you know you still need to find those it makes it a lot harder for for the handover process but if everything is digital and you can literally click here and show them you know your business it makes it easier for you to sell your business it makes it easier for for it to be evaluated as well you know didi thank you so much this has been a wonderful conversation if people want to reach out to you and and have a conversation where's the best place for them to do so okay so um the one place is linkedin so just simple the other place would be instagram so i've started i actually play golf so i've started a financial education slash golf uh blog on instagram it's called 19th with dinke um that's an as a 19th hole the 19th hole um, so yeah, they can reach me on Instagram or they can reach me on LinkedIn. Lovely. And find you on the golf course for some, <laughs> for some technology <laughs> and advice tips. Definitely. They'll find me on the fairway. <laughs> <laughs> the driving range. Nice to see you again, Didi. Bye. Thank you, Louis. Bye.